So John chapter 21, beginning in verse 15, we're going to read verses 15 through 22. And I just want to set this up a little bit before we actually read it so we know where we're going. Um, At this point in the gospel, Jesus has been arrested. Jesus has been convicted. Jesus has been crucified. Jesus has been dead for three days, and he's been resurrected. And at this point in the message, what we see in the storyline is he has appeared to the disciples multiple times. For Peter himself, we believe he probably appeared to Peter at this point either two or three times before this situation occurred. So this is what's happening, and I want to read this passage and then talk a little bit about why I think this is important for us today. Beginning in verse 15, when they had finished eating, this is Jesus with the disciples, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. In verse 18, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who's going to betray you? That's John, by the way. When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Father, I just pray this morning as we look at your word and we talk through the scriptures that humbly we would rightly divide what this means in a message that challenges us to draw closer to you, to experience what you've asked us to experience, to walk in a deeper relationship with you. I pray, Lord, your word would change us and transform us. In your name I pray. Amen. One of the questions I've asked throughout most of my life, especially when I was younger, um, I don't need to ask it the same way that I ask it today, but it's a question I think every one of us asks at some point in our life. And if you've been a part of Bridge for any window of time, you've heard me say this many times. But the question is, um, how can I fulfill my purpose in life? How do I know that my life can actually have meaning? I, I think... Almost everyone I have talked to want to have a purposeful life. They want a life with meaning, a life with significance, so that they know that there is a purpose, there's a stamp that they left on this world, that there's a a reason why they exist, not simply to breathe, to live, to enjoy a few moments or years and then pass away and just be a distant memory that no one recalls. There is a reason for us 
to live. And this passage that we're looking at, it's, it's, it's multifaceted, but I think, and if you follow with me, what I'm going to show you is that there is an answer to this question in this passage. The question that's being asked, how do we understand how to fulfill our purpose in life? And the reason why I'm saying it that way is because Jesus speaks to it before this. In John 10, 10, he says to people, I've come that you would have life and you would have life to the full or an abundant life. He spoke that to the disciples and he spoke that to the crowds to say, the whole purpose I'm here is for you to have a purposeful life, an abundant life. The New Living Translation says it this way, the thief's purpose is to steal, to kill and destroy. My purpose, Jesus says, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. How many of us would reject a rich and satisfying life? I want to have a rich and satisfying... Who wants to have a rich and satisfying life in this place? Okay? Okay? I don't know why the rest of you don't have your hands up. That's really sad. Are you afraid to put your hands up? Who wants to have a rich and satisfying life? Okay, more of you. I still don't know why some of you don't have your hands up, but that's okay. We can talk about it later. Okay? Rich and satisfying life. How many of you... I mean, like, unless you're like Winnie the Pooh and Eeyore, I don't want to do anything. I just want to do whatever. No, like, everyone wants to have a rich and satisfying life in some way, Right? I think so. I think that that's true. But, but our world's definition of rich and satisfying, I don't believe looks like what Jesus defined as a rich and satisfying life. The world wants us to say that a rich and satisfying life is to simply take everything that you want, enjoy whatever you can, let life be your oyster, because in the end you're going to what? Die. Right? Just do whatever you want to do. Live life to the fullest because one day it will be over, but at least you had a satisfying life. And, and let's be clear about that from a Christian's perspective and from, uh, from Christianity's perspective. God created the world for man to manage and to enjoy. So there's a lot of stuff about this world that we should enjoy. And there's a lot of stuff about this world that I love. And, and not the, the world itself, but just things about the, the world. This time of year especially, you know one thing I love? I love grilling. Does anybody else like to grill? Any of any grill, grill gurus in this place? I'm just, just thinking of the smell of food on the grill is a wonderful thing. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you people, like, you're like, yeah, I'm with you. Stop talking. It's still too early, right? I mean, like, going down the neighborhood that, you're, that you live in and with the windows down and pulling into your driveway and going, oh, I hope that's my house. I hope what I smell is my house. That happened to me last year one time and my neighbor was grilling steaks and I was like, oh, it's not me, but it was him. And I really wanted to go over and say hi, Um, (laughs) but I didn't. Um, This past week, my youngest daughter has been baking and cooking and all this stuff for fundraising for the Atlanta Dream Center trip she's taking. And every day I walk into this house and it smells like heaven on earth. I mean, there's pies and cupcakes and lemon squares and I can't have any of it. Because it has names of people written all over it. And I was like, that's torture. So it's like if I believed in purgatory, that would be purgatory right there. Because it's there, but I can't get there. So my whole point in saying that is there's elements of our life that we can enjoy. Maybe a walk in nature to see the nature around us. Maybe you like going for a walk or a stroll, a bike ride, just seeing the water move on a stream. Or maybe you just enjoy a good vacation or to see some of the natural wonders of the world. God has created these things for us to enjoy, guys. And that's part of a satisfying life. But Jesus says true satisfaction does not come from just the world around us. He came so that we can have a rich and satisfying life. And what he's saying here is he is the pathway 
to a rich and satisfying life. If we try to experience life for all it can give us without Jesus, we will always be disappointed. The Apostle Paul says it a different way in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. He says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Let me say that again. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. What is he saying? It's a reminder of this truth. We are unable in our own carnal, physical beings to understand what God has in store for us if we love him. That's the if. That's the condition. It's not just, we can't just walk around and claim it. We can't just walk around and go, God has great things for me. God has great things for me. For those who love him. One translation says, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But what does it mean? The whole point is saying, when our priority is God, when our priority is number one is God. And sometimes we think priority means the highest part. It can, but, but in scripture, especially in the Old Testament, where the, the, the nation of Israel and Hebrews, they, they fought in circles. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The, the core of who we are has to be about God and nothing else. So that's what he's really saying here. When you have gore, when you have gore, when you have God at the center of who you are, your eyes can't imagine what he has in store for you. Your ears can't even think about what you're going to hear. Your mind can't even create the places God wants to take you. That's what it means to have a rich and satisfying life. So the question that I wanted to to pose to you this morning on this Baptism Sunday is simply this. How can we experience a rich and satisfying life? How do we really experience a rich and satisfying life? And if I could condense it to this one phrase, I would say, here's the takeaway that I'd want you to learn for today. It's simply this. Follow God's path for you, not his path for others. Follow God's path for you and not his path for others. Now, there are components of your path that will be similar to other people's paths. There are principles, and we're going to go through three principles this morning that have a lot of overlap. But the principles are still principles we're supposed to follow our way that God leads us, not the way he wants others to walk. But if we want to experience a rich and satisfying life, I believe the key to that is to follow God's path for me, for you, not his path for others. So there are three steps that I want to talk about that I think we see in this passage on how we can have a rich and satisfying life. And we're going to start with number one, the steps to following God's path. First off, if we want to achieve this and we want to realize this, number one into steps to following God's path is to love him. Simply said, just to love him. Jesus meets with Peter in this passage and on three separate three separate instances, one right after the other, he says the exact same thing. Verse 15, he starts. When they had finished eating, remember, it says, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. This is a repeated statement in verse 16 and in verse 17. Three times Jesus asks him if he loves him. If you backtrack and you know the story of when Jesus was arrested, Peter was nowhere to be found. After he cut off the ear of, uh, of one of the centurion servants, one of the servants, and Jesus healed the man, and then he took Jesus away, Peter ran, just like all the other the apostles ran. And three times over the course of that evening to the next morning, Peter denied Jesus. He denied that he even knew Jesus. He even cursed the name of Jesus to one of the young people that confronted him. 
Three times Jesus asks him if he loves him. Now, the point I want to talk about here regarding love, and it's, it's a little, little more detailed, so just walk this out with me. There's, there's two different words that are happening in this conversation between Jesus asking Peter if he loves him and Peter's response. When Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? In verse 15, he's using this word agapeo. He goes, and ag- or agapeo, and he's saying it's, it's from the root agape. And some of you have heard the word agape for the definition of love. It's like the highest form of love that someone could have for someone else. Not just reverence, but it's like no one else matters, the number one priority. I would go to the ends of the earth for you, that kind of love. It's the kind of love that we see in John 3.16 when it says, For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. God so agapeo, the world. Nothing else mattered, the most important thing. And that's what Jesus says to Peter. He says, Peter, do you agapeo me? Do you love me above everything else? Peter's response was, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But Peter uses the word phileo. Phileo is another type of word in Greek, and it really speaks more towards great affection or loyalty towards someone, natural affections. I am very warm-hearted and and endeared to you, and you are endeared to me. So Jesus is saying, am I the greatest love that you have for anything? And Peter's response is, you know I have warm, warm affection towards you, Jesus. And then again, in verse 16, Jesus asks it again. No, Peter, do you have any other priority above me? And Jesus' response, or Peter's response is the same. You know I have warm affection towards you, Jesus. And when we get to verse 17, what's really cool in verse 17, Jesus changes his word and he says, Peter, do you have warm affection towards me? And that's when Peter drops his head and hangs his head in shame. You think about why he would say that. Because Jesus asks him twice, he responds differently, and he hangs his head, almost like saying, I denied this man, the Son of God, three times before people. And he's now even questioning the love that I have for him and whether I will go to the ends of the earth for him. The point I'm trying to say here is two. Number one, the kind of love we need to have to have a rich and satisfying life is that God needs to be the center of who we are. When we say love him, it means by default, the number one priority in my life has to be a Christ-centered love. That everything that I do in my life starts with knowing Jesus and then everything comes from that. That Jesus is not, or knowing God or Christianity is not a part of me that I've added on, but it is actually the core of who I am. It's not a bolt-on type of faith. And there's a mindset that people have sometimes in this world that the kind of thing that we can do is live our lives, trust in Christ by giving our lives to him or saying a prayer or filling out a box, and then we kind of add that and bolt it on to us as we go, and then we have another piece of the puzzle. And that's not the version of Christianity that, that Jesus speaks to us about. True Christianity is a transformation where the old dies and the new comes alive where we take the old, which was living for me, and I was number one in my life, and I displace it, and then I replace it with Jesus. That's the number one love. The second piece, which is really incredible here, I think this is really cool, is Jesus' response when Peter says, you know I love you. Jesus says three times, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, take care of my lambs. And here's the point I think that matters in terms of having a life that is vibrant and a life that is full of life. Love for God results in love for others. If we're going to experience a rich and satisfying life as a follower of Christ, 
by default, we're not just supposed to love God, but we're supposed to love others. And love others is not a blanket statement to just say, love the world. We are supposed to love the world. But what he's really speaking here to Peter is, if you really love me and you want life to be rich and satisfying, make sure those around you that are believers, that are followers of me, are being loved. And I think that's super important for us to remember this morning because sometimes we can get so focused on reaching the world. But the truth of the matter is we won't be effective reaching the world if we don't reach the one that we share a home with or the one that you're sitting next to this morning in this place, the person you share a bed with, the person you share a dinner table with, the person you share a car with, the person you share anything with that's related to you, if we don't love those people that are closest to us, we have no voice in loving those that are outside. And that certainly doesn't mean that we need to be perfect, but let's look at that in the context of the church. I've seen this historically over the time in the 12 years that I've been even at Bridge, and it's not just a Bridge thing, it's a human thing. That one of the biggest struggles we have in our Christian walk and our Christian faith is building genuine community. We are people that struggle to build genuine community. People are used to in this society of coming, listening. Pastor Brian said earlier during the announcements that, that the idea of a family meal has begun to, we've lost even the beauty of having family meals together because people are busy and they're running around. Because of technology, families can live further and further apart from each other. And we become so individualistic sometimes that the people that you may be sitting around in your local church, some of you maybe have never been in the homes of the people that you sit around with. Some of you maybe have never built relationship with the people around you. Maybe the person that's two seats over from you has been sitting there for two years, for four years, and you don't even know anything about them. Now, you don't have to know everything about everybody. That would be silly. But that's why we have small group ministries, and that's why Pastor Rob gets up here and he rah-rahs community groups a couple times a year and says, you need to be in community, right? And he says that. Actually, he says that when he strokes his beard. You need to be in community. And he does it that way, right? But why is he saying that? Because he understands the thing that we see in Scripture is that community builds an intimacy with people. Intimacy builds genuine love. You learn to love people when you begin to interact and, 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 and share life with them. And Jesus is talking about this, that for us to experience real life, for us to experience a rich and satisfying life, we have to find ways by default to serve others that are followers of Christ, to encourage others that are followers of Christ, to know that sometimes we will have more to offer and sometimes we will need someone to offer to us in whatever category. Are you with me? Make sense? So, so important, but we can't live in our individualistic boxes. We have to be willing to be transparent and vulnerable with select groups of people or communities. You know, I've heard people say countless times over the years, you know, I like this kind of church. I'm not just talking about bridge, but when they talk about churches, those churches or that church I went to, that's just too big and I don't know anybody. And here's what I can say. Small churches are not synonymous with healthy churches. And large churches are not synonymous with unhealthy or healthy churches. What matters is the way they love God and the way they love others. And if it's a healthy church, it might be a small church that meets in groups. 
If it's a big church, it has to be a large church that has many groups that love and serve each other. Healthy big churches are just a whole bunch of little churches that meets together on Sunday mornings. That's the way it works. So if you're part of a big church and you're not in a relationship with other people and you feel anonymous, can I tell you, the problem is not necessarily the church. It's the person sitting next to you. No, I'm just kidding. It's you. It's me. You know, if, the, if getting connected is something every church I know in the world that wants to be healthy has community groups, loving people and loving each other is so important. And that's what Jesus is saying. If you want to experience what it really looks like to live a life that's rich and satisfying, love my people. Love the people around you. Can I tell you, Jesus said this, it is the proof positive way that the world will know that he is real. By the way, people in the body love people in the body. The second thing I want to mention this morning is to not compare your path to someone else's path. Don't compare your path to someone else's path. If you want a rich and satisfying life, the pathway to God's path is to not fall into the comparison trap. You see, after Jesus shared with Peter what would happen to Peter in the future, I'm not going to go back to the verse, but basically what he said was, one day you're going to be led down a place that you don't want to be going to. One day someone's going to stretch your hands out and you don't want them to do that. One day they're going to clothe you in a way you don't want to be clothed. And what was he telling Peter? The day is going to come where you're going to become a martyr and you will be crucified for my name. And he says this to Peter and he speaks it out to Peter. And Peter's response was incredible in verse 21. When Peter saw him, he's looking back now, and he looks at John who's coming. After Jesus shares this with him, he looks at Jesus and says, Lord, what about him? Like, isn't this real life? Isn't this real life? And Jesus says, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Comparison can be incredibly dangerous. Looking at what God has given us and what God has given others. Looking the path that God has called us to walk versus the path he's called others to walk. And it can be incredibly dangerous. Personally, in my own life, I've experienced like this, this in many, many different ways. The one that comes to mind that's, I still think about this. I know just, just looking at, you know, my wife is currently in her master's program, but me going back to 2000s, early 2000s and mid 2000s saying, um, okay, God, you're calling me to seminary and I'm going to go to full-time seminary and work two part-time jobs while I'm working at the church. And I'm going to do that for three years. And I'm going to take in a kid. And Pastor Nick was here a couple weeks ago. And we're going to take in a kid while we have three other kids. And I'm going to spend, spend hours and hours and hours and hours on a couch while I'm gaining weight and losing my hair. And I'm going to do that for three years. Meanwhile, People that I know are having nice vacations and they're going places and they're upgrading and doing different things and I'm studying and I'm writing papers and I'm doing this. And can I tell you, it's so easy to compare your path to others and go, what about them? Why do I have to do this, but they get to do that? Oh, isn't that jacked up? I'm like studying the word of God and I'm like, why do I have to do this? Right? Isn't that jacked up? Some of you were here last week are like, not as jacked up as your history of larceny. (laughs) And if you didn't hear that last week, just ignore what I just said. Doesn't relate to anything. I got over that when I was in high school. But we compare, don't we? We compare. 
Why is my path this way? And God says, this is what you're going to have to take. This is the path you're going to take. I'm calling you to do this. And it's so easy if we're not careful. It's so easy instead of embracing God's path for us to stop and go, what are you asking them to do before we walk this? And Jesus' response is the same response to us as it was to Peter. What business is it of yours? What I call somebody else to walk. Why? Because your path with God, my friends, is your path. My path with God is my path. And if God calls me to do what I'm doing and I'm never going to accomplish what I want to accomplish or have what I want or go where I want, I'm not saying God doesn't give good gifts. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying every person is responsible to be surrendered to God and let his path be submitted to God's leading. Whatever he asks you to do, do. And don't worry about what he's calling other people to do. That trips us up because comparison breeds competition. And competition has no place in the body of Christ. The only place that it matters, and I won't even use the term competition, is when it talks about spurring on one another unto good deeds. Or in Proverbs, when it says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. That's about accountability and encouragement. It's not about comparing. Competition is dangerous because when we start to compete with each other, we say one of two things. I am either worse off than someone else, Or I'm better off than someone else. It's easy when I say don't compare that we look at someone else and think they're better, right? Someone else is better than me. Someone else is a better speaker. Someone's a better musician. Someone's a better person managing their money. They're they're more generous. They're more compassionate. They're godly. They can understand and memorize more scriptures than I have. And, And I could never teach like they teach, Pastor Paul. I could never serve like they serve. I could never be used in that capacity because we're comparing ourselves to someone else. And what we do when we compare that way is we become dissatisfied with who God's, how God's made us. We, we reject the uniqueness that God has made each of us to be, and we become discouraged. It's a lack of faith when we become comparison, when we compare like that to say, God could never use me that way, so let me be discouraged and never do that. This is an incredibly dangerous trap that I've seen people fall into for years and years and years and years. I could never be that good, so why would I try? Mission Lansdale is a great example of that, and Pastor Pastor Brian talked about that. Every single year we have people that, that do take the step in fear and trembling they're like, are you going to make me stand in front of a box? They have this idea that we're going to go to the train station and put them on a platform and make them just preach the gospel to people or something. And I'm like, no, we're not going to do that. That's silly. You might just be washing cars with people and God may let you pray over one person. Can I tell you, when you become available, God then makes you able. But if we never become available, there's never an opportunity to be able. God wants you to be available so he can make you able. He qualifies those he calls. He doesn't call those he qualifies. He doesn't call the qualified. If he's calling you, be faithful to know he will equip you. But you have to be willing to take a step and not compare to the people around you. So sometimes you say, I'm worse off when you compare. Sometimes people say, I'm better off than others. And you say, what does that look like? Well, Maybe you've grown up in the church, or maybe you've been part of church for a long time. Maybe you have more study Bibles than I do. Maybe you've read the scriptures, or maybe you've, you've taught classes before. And when the church offers things to get involved in or participate or to teach, or you say, you know what, I've, 
I've done that before. I've taken those classes before. I don't need that. Somebody else probably could use that, but, but I'm already at this place. I don't need that anymore. And the danger in comparing ourselves in that is to say that we actually maybe are more than we really are. And it can build a pride inside of us to say, I've already arrived at that level. Why do I need to grow any more than that? We can become content and complacent. And not good contentment, but poor contentment. Where we become complacent to say, I don't need to grow any further. I've already accomplished that. Why do I need to do that again? A couple years ago when Pastor Rob was talking about the learning to follow and the, the, the follow sh- uh, discipleship classes that we were teaching and the first steps, I can't tell you the number of times we reached out to people that have been believers for years and the coaches that we've tried to reach out to and talk about serving and being a part of that. And so many times people would say, well, I'm not going to go to first steps. That's for babies. Like, why do I need to do that? I've been walking with God for a long time. I'm like, I did it, you know, and I'm still a baby. You know, I have a lot to learn. I sat down with the guy that wrote the book and he walked me through the whole thing. And I'm like, this is powerful. Everybody needs to do something like this. But if we think we've already arrived to a certain place, we're comparing ourselves, thinking we're better than we actually are. And we don't have the opportunity to grow. The whole time, my whole purpose in saying this is to avoid the comparison trap. Whether you think you're worse off or you're better off, Jesus continues to say the same message to Peter and the message also applies to us. Keep your eyes on your path, not on someone else's. The third thing I want to mention this morning is simply this. And as our worship team comes to close, I'd like to invite them up. We're going to say that to experience real life, a vibrant, rich, and satisfying life, We also need to trust his promises. Trust his promises. Yes, we need to love. Yes, we shouldn't compare our path to someone else's path. But the third part is we need to trust in God's promises. I'm going to walk you through. I'm not going to go back and look at the scripture, but I want you to think about this just for a moment, just how powerful this is. So many times I've read this passage where I see Jesus asks Peter three times if he loves him. And what he's doing, he's restoring him from the three times that he rejected him and denied him, right? Three times he denied him, three times Peter's asked by Jesus. And the last time Jesus then tells him as a result what your future will look like. Because Peter said, you know I love you. And so many times I've read that and I've said, Jesus then gives him this message and he says, okay, because you love me, one day you're gonna be crucified for me. And all I could think of for years, I've read that to say like, wow, that would be a bummer. Jesus, I love you. I love you. I love you. And Jesus says, good, because you're going to be crucified for me. That would not be an encouragement to me. And I've read it that way. But I want you to think about it this way. Peter always genuinely loved Jesus. Peter saw his failure, his failures, because he went to Jesus and he told him before it even happened. Jesus told him, Peter, you're going to deny me. And he said, Lord, I will die for you. And he said, no, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before tomorrow morning. Peter couldn't even fathom that that would happen. He was so confident in himself. This was before he received the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Before he was empowered to live for God, he said, I would never do that. And yet he denies him. Can you imagine being Peter at this point, standing before a resurrected Jesus? Jesus saying, you do love me. Well, I want you to know, Peter. I want you to know that I know that you love me. So much so that you're going to die for me. And they're going to hold your hands out how you don't want them to be held. 
and they're gonna dress you the way that you don't wanna be dressed and they're gonna lead you down a path that you don't wanna be led, but it will happen so that God is glorified. Can you imagine being Peter saying, I messed up, but Jesus just affirmed in me that I'm gonna make it, that I'm going to be successful, that my heart is true, that I am not going to deny my Lord again. I am not going to fall short. I am going to grab a hold of his promise and his promise said that you were gonna fulfill what I called you to fulfill. And that's what we need to do. We need to remember just like Peter. And if we fast forward to the epistles where Peter speaks at the end of his life, he tells them that his death is coming near. And then he says, just as the Lord reminded him from decades before, Peter's writing the letter at the end of his life saying, my time is coming short and I'm going to soon pass away and be taken away. Just as the Lord reminded me years before. What a beautiful message of God's promise. What a beautiful message of God's power. Can I tell you the message today also works for each one of us today, friends, that we can trust his promises. The apostle Paul, in Acts chapter two, they went from powerless people where in Acts chapter 2 they were filled with the Holy Spirit they were baptized with boldness and courage to preach the gospel and to lay hands on the sick and to go to the ends of the earth with the message of Jesus Christ and they did it with confidence not in themselves but in the spirit of God that lives in us can I tell you today we are still those people that have the spirit that wants to not just fill us salvation salvifically but empower us through his baptism to speak the word of God to preach the word of God, to see sick people healed, to see people delivered from pain and struggle, to see people changed where the life of a Christian is not just something we talk about in in our heads or on paper, but it's something we see demonstrated through transformation. This is who we are today. This is where we're supposed to be. And Paul says in Philippians 1, Verse four, he says, in all my prayers for all of you, he's speaking to the Philippian church, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. If you're looking for a promise that never fails, know that what you begin in Christ through the spirit living in you will be completed in Jesus' power. Amen? You hear what I'm saying? It means you don't have to wonder, am I going to make it? Am I going to fail? If your heart is to follow God, if your heart is to love him, if your heart is to not compare your path to others and your heart is to trust in his promises, you will be satisfied in this life. And you will stand before God and he will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done. You accomplished it. You walked it out, not in your own strength, but in the strength of my, of my son and in my spirit. Walk it out obediently and see what he can do in you and through you. Our worship team's gonna close with a song as we get ready to transition with our water baptism today. And, and I just wanna ask that question to each one of you I said earlier regarding water baptism. Maybe you're here today and you've given your life to Christ and you're a follower of Jesus, but maybe you've never been water baptized. Maybe today you need to be water baptized. Actually, I'll be even more direct about it. What I see in the scriptures, they believed and they were baptized. They believed and they were baptized. I think sometimes we have overcomplicated or sometimes we have made our walk 
more about us being willing to take a step. And then we put the blame on God and say, why aren't we experiencing a rich and fulfilling life? Because God simply lays out steps. Believe and be baptized. See my work and respond. And if you're here this morning and you've not been baptized and you're a follower of Christ, I want to highly encourage you. If the Spirit's tugging on your heart right now, you know what I mean? Like if you have like the pitter-patter going on and, and God's speaking to you saying like, you know you've never done this. You've claimed to be a follower of Christ, but you've never made a decision publicly, <coughs> excuse me, to say, I want to do this. Then why not today? Can I tell you over and over again, I've heard people over the years and we've talked about it say, well, I just don't like public speaking or I'm afraid to be in front of people. And I listen, I get it. I get it. There's only a handful of people that really like to do public speaking. It has nothing to do with it. But think about it this way. Is there a reason that I believe there is that right after people were believers in the gospel or in the book of Acts, they were baptized? Is there a reason why that happened and why God set it up this way? Yes, and here's what I believe. Because when we are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, when we are empowered by the presence of God, the main thing that happens from that is that we are emboldened and we are given courage to be witnesses for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Which means the things we think we can't do anymore, we can do. The things that we think that we were unable to do before, we now have the ability to do because we're filled with the Holy Spirit. But if we just cross our arms and we say, well, we have you and we're saved, but I'm afraid to do everything, we're missing the point. God wants to fill us. He wants to not just baptize us in water. He wants to baptize us in his spirit so people can walk out of this tank and they can say, as they say over and over again, I've seen it. I've walked in there, Pastor Paul, and I was so afraid and I didn't know what I was going to say. And I see people walk out of the steps. Pastor Rob, you've seen it too, right? And what do they say? Where did that come from, right? I didn't even know what I was saying. We're like, well, what you said was beautiful. Well, where'd that come from? I'm like, right here. And it wasn't you. It was the Spirit of God. And why did he do that? Because he wants to show us that the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. And he wants to not just drop a few drops of the Spirit in us. He wants to overflow us and baptize us with his Spirit. So if you would stand with me, what we're going to do, we have a few people we know that are getting baptized this morning. We have someone in the first service that said they want to be baptized in the second. And if you're here this morning while the team plays this song and you're saying, I want to get baptized today, I want you to join me in the corner over here where Pastor Rob is, and we are going to get you ready. I'm going to go in the back and help out with the baptism, and Pastor Rob's going to wait here. But during this song, if God is touching your heart to get water baptized, I want you to come up here and talk to him. We have shorts for you. We have shirts for you, okay? We have towels for you. All you need to do is take a step and watch what God would want to do. So Holy Spirit, we invite you. Speak to the hearts of each person here and let them experience you and walk in obedience as we celebrate you in water baptism.